This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Mellon Law Studio. 50 years of experience. As you know, the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators, neither Mellon Law nor the Gators will back down. Protected 24-7, 365 by our good friends at Crime Prevention, cpss.net. Check out the mugshots. Uh, see if there's anybody that might be your neighbor there so you know how to handle yourself. And uh, we are here in a very interesting conversation today, as always, on Wednesdays with Ted Yoho. And more interesting than that is Ted is in the hinterlands, if you will, as far as we are concerned here in the southern climes. Uh, he is in Wisconsin, which is also a version of God's country. I've been there many a time. Love Wisconsin. Uh, traditionally loved to fish in Wisconsin. So, uh, and I love the dairy cattle that was once there. My friends had a dairy farm there. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big favorite of Wisconsin. Um, but we'll see how this goes. We're trying to uh, also, since Ted is in a remote kind of setting, we're trying to do the video and the audio as we proceed. But if we have a little problem, we'll switch strictly to uh, audio. So just stick with us. We've got, uh, I want you to see the setting though. Uh, that our good friend is in. I mean, it can't be many more rustic than that. And uh, I wish I could switch places with him in a way. I mean, golly, even though I'm here in God's country in the piney woods of north central Florida. We've got so much to talk about because it's the morning after. And uh, uh, some people may have uh, a little hangover from staying up late to watch all of these returns. But uh, we've got an interesting whole array of things to talk with you about. And one of them, of course, is uh, and Ted's going to uh, let me talk first about this since I'm here. And it is the local oddities of Alachua County. You know, um, a lot was on the line in the school board races as opposed to uh, the issue was whether you would have a woke school board. And everybody by now should be familiar with what woke stands for. Uh, it is basically establishing the critical race theory and the race preferences, all of the above there and the guilt for being uh, uh, settled by colonial powers and all that business. So that was a lot on the line in the state of Florida and school boards. And or I haven't got them counted up. There are about 10 school boards uh, that's flipped to conservative school boards. The most notable of which, as I understand in my brief survey before we came on the air, was Miami-Dade, uh, which is a very conservative school board now, which is very interesting because that's down there in a, what has generally been a liberal community, but I think Alachua now has replaced Broward County as the bastion of liberalism because uh, it's back in the hands of the critical race theory people on the school board here. Um, they may say otherwise, but that's basically what it is. Probably will be a superintendent change again if I hear things correctly. And interestingly enough, everywhere in the state, with the exception of two other counties, both of which are very small, I don't know what they are right now, um, Nikki Freed Fried Frazzle lost ba badly to uh, 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 Cheeto Christ and, and, and I mean, really thumped. But here in Alachua County, which is stranger than fiction, but after all, it is settled by the uh, genetic material from the UFO that landed by the Lake of the Stupids in 1947 and populated the political climate here with those uh, uh, people who proceeded. Uh, she beats, she beats. Uh, Chris here, uh, uh, by at least a percentage point in Alachua County. A go figure, if you can possibly go figure. I don't have a clue. But Ted is going to help me make a, a big analysis. He can handle the national stuff and the state of Florida stuff. So we've got a real assistant here. Uh, we're going to try the video with Ted. And we also got it hooked up on a phone number. So we'll hear just the audio. So, Ted, let's try you add. The great picture I've got of you right now to see how it works. Okay, can you okay, hear me all right? right? Okay, You've right. got an echo on the phone. Yeah, how about now? Yeah, how about now? 
and we're getting an echo from the phone. Let's turn the phone off a minute. Try this now. Okay, here we go. All right, we're getting. Yeah, I think we're getting the voice. Okay, let's have that. <clears throat> let me let me turn my video off. How's that? Okay, let's try that, Ted. All right, go ahead. Go ahead, brother. Let's everything go. you said. Well, Evan's everything you said was great about uh about the about the elections. You know, um, you know, you've got to love Latchwood County. They stay true to their color blue and. Uh, you know, they don't vary from that at all. And I knew that when I ran, we never won Alachua County, even though I lived and worked for over 30 years, right? My family here. And, you know, like we were talking earlier, Keith Perry and um, Chuck Clemens would never be elected if it wasn't for the outlying counties. Thank God for that. Well, of course, they're always trying to uh, gerrymander the districts, if you will, uh, try to get that uh, put to rest so they can't get in. That's always another way to tinker with uh Voter suppression. They don't call it voter suppression on the Democrat side of the aisle. They call it, I guess, expanding the vote. But uh, it certainly is a version of voter suppression. I don't know if you know this, Ted, uh, since you're up in, in, in Wisconsin, but in High Springs area, um, lo and behold, uh, they ran out of Republican ballots, my man. Can you believe it? I tell you what, that when you start getting outside of a latch hook, uh, the, the town of Gainesville and you start expanding into the rural areas, they're great people out there and they're just hardcore conservatives, the people that have made this country what it is. And it was Republicans and Democrats that all believe that way. I mean, they had the, the, the fabric of what America was when it was uh, when it came together as a nation that old, that held true. And when I ran, you know, one of the biggest things um, I guess compliments is we had people that were lifelong Democrats said they're switching to the Republican Party to vote for me. And uh, I think that's because we represented those core values of America. You know, they're neither Republican or Democrat. They're American values. And uh, the only place they could find those were with Republican candidates. And uh, it's ever so more that way now. Well, you make a good point about the rural areas of the county. You know, one of the things that occurs to me, and I'm just going to put this out there, and, uh, and, you know, it's obviously going to be a hot topic here. You've heard of Springs County. I know you've been aware of what's going on here with that. But if you take a look at this election, uh, and I've already, you know, canvassed these thoughts with some people here whose opinions you and I respect. Um, it looks as if this best effort here is futile still. Uh, the Democrats have a have a, a, a lock on the county, largely, I would say, due to the academic community dominating the city and therefore the city dominates uh, the party politics and you see it throughout the city commission you see it throughout the county commission you know in riding around yesterday Ted I was looking for mineral blocks uh, for cattle oddly enough um, a couple of the places I went to get them first they were sold out and so I wound up down by the Davis ranch uh, as you know where that is of course uh, down okay. around uh, uh, Archer uh, on South 241 and Ted all I saw was the signs for the conservative school board candidates they were all over the place and my wife and I were writing I said you know what I observed about this Barbara there really is a western side of this county and an eastern side of the county at, you know starting where 43rd street and and it's completely two different worlds. And if you were to have a Springs County, you would indeed have far, I think, primarily a conservative county. Any thoughts on that, Ted? Have you been out there as a in your professional life? You, you know a lot of these people. You alluded to them just now. I don't know what Springs County is a possibility, but boy, I'm telling you, it looks more and more like an attempt that ought to be tried. No, I think your your observations absolutely correct. And again, we saw that, um, you know, my 30 years working as a veterinarian, but during the election, we saw that. And that's why you saw uh, High Springs run out of Republican ballots, because they they have those values. And I know a lot of those people have switched from Democrat to Republicans. And I think Florida's picked up over a million Democrat or Republican seats. And so now it's a, a pretty strong Republican uh, state. And um, Alachua County, unfortunately, in these other liberal areas like Tallahassee, where they had elected mayor, 
Andrew Gillum, thank God he didn't become our governor, or we would be as bad as New York or uh, California. But those values you see are in the rural area. And I think, you know, if the citizens of, America, of Florida or North Florida, Latcher County, keep pushing, I think they can get a, a, a Springs County. I mean, this is something that's been talked about for a long time, and it's something people want. And it just it comes down to citizen activism and, and pushes and pushes and don't back up on it. You know, uh, people are moving to Florida for a reason. They're going to move to these areas and they need to get enrolled and understand the dynamics of a lateral politics. The other thing I thought about this that goes along with this conversation, Ted, is there's going to be a big drive to get single member districts. But I think single member districts is going to run into the same obstacle um, that these other races run into, and that's the enormous propaganda machine, if you will, of the Democrat Party, which is aided and abetted by the media, uh, which basically is an arm of the Democrat Party here. As you know, the Gainesville Sun, which I fondly call the Gainesville Sunset, uh, because <laughs> it is kind of diminishing in importance, but nevertheless, it's a spokes outlet for the Democrat Party. So, And I'll assure you, even though there's been legislation against using public dollars to advocate against the, the people being able to make a neutral opinion on this, the county will do it anyway. They'll find a way to do it, Ted. I mean, I just, I, I don't want to be too cynical, but I just know the history of how this stuff goes. No, you're absolutely right. And it's funny you call it the Gainesville, um, whatever you called it. I called it the, the gain or the Gainesville sunset. I called it the Gainesville bulletin because it's like <laughs> a, a HOA or old folks, uh, newsletter that comes out. It's not news. I mean, we sat down with the editor, um, Mr. Crabb, multiple times explaining things that was good for all the citizens that they needed to know about. And of course, they hated me. And so they slanted it against me. And it was just the people aren't getting the news. And so um, God bless them for anybody that pays attention to that. And I feel bad for advertisers that advertise into that. But, um, yeah, you know, it's it, again, it's the media is involved in this uh, and it's an organization that is pushing that liberal agenda. And they've got a bastion of people here that believe that stuff. And, of course, you get this new group of people in uh, that come in every semester. And, you know, we're in a era now and I, I hate to bash anybody. But when you have a, a population, the young population coming up and they're confused with what gender they are. You know they're going to lead. They're going to listen to the news, and uh, they're going to read the paper, and they're going to uh, believe what they read. Unfortunately, and I have friends in the news business who are really not in the news business as we are describing it now, the Gainesville Sunset. But they tell people when they talk with them who these people have opinions, and the first thing my buddies will say is, "Well, where did you get your opinions?" And if, they'll tell them if you got it from the news media, they're wrong. Because uh, the news media has uh, got a particular, listen, just in canvassing, which we'll get into in a moment, I'm sure, uh, ju just in canvassing the responses to the Mar-a-Lago thing, it is so, it's not news, it's opinionated, uh, it's really entertainment. I've come to think of the news, particularly the big media TV stations, uh, Ted, as entertainment, not news. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I hear so many false notes in it that I would stop the symphony and, and, and fire the violin, violin player. You know what I'm saying? No, I know exactly what you're saying. I don't know if it's entertainment. I know they're in the business of making money. And if you'll watch any of those programs, if you can tolerate it, even on the, on the conservative side, it may be five minutes of commentary with a guest, and you got about three minutes of the guest, and then it goes into six or seven minutes of commercial. So it's all about making money. <clears throat> but, on the liberal side, and I, yeah, I'm sure the the libs feel the same about um, Fox and those other conservative nation, or there is no other conservative one out there. That it's a propaganda machine that we're seeing coming out of MSNBC, CNN, and um, uh, I was listening to Rachel Maddow and Adam Schiff on Marlago on the raid, and uh, oh Adam golly, Schiff, how could you do that? Oh, it was Go painful. Ahead, I'm sorry. But it was it was so just slanted to he ties it back to the Russia gate, the thing that he was called out so many times for lying. Um, but he's saying now this is where we think the, the documents are that uh, uh, created and promoted uh, the, the uh, collusion between Russia and Trump. And the Mueller report already said there was no collusion, but they won't give that up because now they've broken the Fourth Amendment of Donald Trump, an ex-president, 
never happened before. And no telling what's going to be planted in that those documents. And I don't trust them. And, you know, unfortunately, we're at a point in our country where people are losing trust rapidly in our government. And that's not a healthy situation for anybody. Well, the Wall Street Journal has an editorial yesterday about this right on point for what we're talking about. And, you know, because you've been in the belly of the beast there for eight years. God bless you. And it says Washington's prosecution by leaks. And I'm sure you've experienced this and seen it firsthand up close. But the point of this editorial is that the multiple leaks to the press uh, are, a, are a tool of the Department of Justice's investigation of Trump. And so what? Absolutely. Huh? Absolutely. Yeah. And so here they are objecting to Trump's handling of confidential documents, quote unquote, and they are leaking confidential stuff to the press. I mean, and they don't say which document. The, unpe- uh, the editorial points out which documents. The report doesn't say, you know, and uh, <laughs> that's one point they make. And as to the leakers, uh, these, att- these reports are an attempt to justify to the public the extraordinary search of a former president's home. So here the media, according to the opine of the, of the journal, is actually helping with a cover-up of, of, of the Mar-a-Lago incident. And uh, this whole business of classified documents relating to nuclear weapons, uh, they change the nuclear code every day. Um, you know, and my good friend, Ramsey Samurai, whom I, I'm sure you know, worked at the State yeah. Department, Ramsey said that one of the most shocking things he ever saw was when Obama first won, he came on television and Ramsey was watching and Obama revealed how many nuclear uh, armaments we had. And Ramsey, having worked for the Secretary of State and being in charge of nuclear nonproliferation, about fell out of his chair. I mean, that was one huge violation of nuclear secrecy. It really is. And it's irresponsible. And of course, you look at Obama and, you know, if you look at what he, his intent was, it goes back to the fundamental changing of America, weakening of America. I was on foreign affairs and so many times we'd bring up um, uh, policies that he was promoting. And I remember Michael Flynn was one of our uh, expert witnesses and it was something to do with the Middle East, Iran, uh, some of our negotiations. And what he did, what, what he, Obama did, um, I said, this is either by ignorance or by dereliction of duty or by design. What do you think? And he didn't miss a beat. He said it is by design. And my question was, well, if it's by design, why would he do that? Because it weakens America. And, um, uh, that was the whole Obama agenda. And he's accomplished that. Uh, unfortunately, he's been successful in what he wanted to do. It's not complete yet. And that's why these people need to, these people being the voters, they need to register because our country is at a tipping point and we can't go on like we are much longer um, in a peaceful way. Talking with Ted Yoho, in case you can't uh, see him and wonder why we are listening to him. Uh, he is in the, uh, a neck of the woods in Wisconsin, which is rather remote, having a great time. I love Wisconsin and where he is. And Ted's joining us by audio, but we have a video we may show intermittently in a little bit just to let you see the cabin-like flavor of where he is. Boy, I tell you, the man goes from Key West. You'll notice he's got a Key West suntan, but he's now in Wisconsin. Boy, I tell you, that's that's the way to live, Ted. Um, one Life more. is good. Yeah, one more thing about this. Uh, I guess from staying out of D.C., you feel a lot better, huh? But <laughs> Oh, yeah. Freedom. 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 Yeah. You know, the other thing that the, uh, was an opine of this uh, of journal piece was uh, referencing uh, of David Rifkin and Lee Casey, who are lawyers, who made a compelling case in this journal a couple of days ago uh, that uh, uh, there's no real strength to the seizure of these records because Trump has every right to hold the documents for a time at his home under the 1978 Presidential Records Act. Right. And if there's any dispute over them, it's a matter of negotiation and at most a minor sanction. So um, the argument uh, is, um, their argument, according to the opine here, is very strong. Um, there's not been any possible violations of the Espionage Act. My golly, for them to throw out the same thing that they used on the 
spies. What were their names again, Ted? They back when in the forties, Ethel and um, you remember? Oh, the couple. Yeah, the couple. For them to throw out the Espionage Act, which was the act that they got those felt those people on on the president, as if it were some obstruction of justice. I, I you know. You know, it, it, I have to take a breath on that, Ted. No, it's, again, we're seeing our country change and we're seeing government using uh, or usurping the laws and they are becoming the Brits um, back in the revolutionary days. The government is the one that is really overriding our constitution. I mean, for and, and you think of Trump, Trump was the biggest threat to him. And I read in the Wall Street Journal today that there is this... Uh, fanfare going and saying Liz Cheney for attorney general. Can you mm-hmm. imagine her being attorney general? Because their whole thing is to get rid of Trump because they're so deftly afraid of him because that he, he has gone after the establishment and that machine, the deep state, if you will, um, uh, rocking the boat. And they, they just can't afford to have any of that exposed because the American people, I think would up, uh, have an uprising. Well, you know, Ted, there's an article in the Washington Examiner the other day, which I talked about, uh, and I'm sure you've been familiar with this uh, phenomenon. One of the the analysis, and I, I, I had brought this up before I ever read this article. The reason Liz Cheney, what's her motivation? Well, she is a member of the old guard in the Republican Party. And Trump has been, and here's maybe where you can comment because you've been there uh, close to the uh, heartbeat of the Congress and all that. Uh, Trump has been elected outside the blessing of the old guard. I'm sure you recall that Jeb Bush initially, my man, was to be the favorite. You recall that? He had this huge treasure chest and Trump come uh, war chest and Trump comes, comes along and calls him uh, low energy Jeb. And that Pretty much takes Jeb off the, and I don't. I don't think the old guard, the Cheneys and the Bushes, ever recovered from that. They were as anti-Trump as the Democrats were. That's no, I, you're 100 right. You know, there was a friend of mine that told me when I came up to Washington. He goes, "What you're going to find real quickly is it's not Republicans versus Democrats. It's the party of big government." And it's made up of Republicans and Democrats and they're to protect the status quo of where we are today as a country, you know, because it's the elites that control things. And we're not we think we pick our candidates. And with Trump, we did with DeSantis. If he runs and he gets elected, we the people picked him. But in the recent past, we get handed a candidate like you brought up. Jeb Bush had over one hundred million dollars in his campaign. And then on the on the left, you mean to tell me Hillary Clinton is the most um, um, qualified candidate? Of course, she was more qualified than what we have now. Um, but we're handed these candidates and we're supposed to say, all right, here's your candidates. Go ahead and vote on them. It's not we the people. And Trump upset that apple cart so bad that they can't they can't afford to have any any uh, remnant of him left going into the next election because of the possibility of him getting elected. And if he gets elected, he'll come back with an agenda to upright the apple cart and get new apples. I think, unfortunately, they're doing a pretty good schmear job. Um, Oh, they're doing great. Yeah, they're doing a pretty good schmear job. I'm starting to hear people who actually like Trump and would vote for him say, well, we just don't need any more rancor in government. that deal, my, I, I, have a, I have an opinion here, which is like everybody else, everybody's got one. But I feel, for example, locally, all these people who lost these races, let's take the school board, for example, were way too polite as, you know, they, they didn't seize the tiger by the tail. You know what I mean? I mean, they didn't fight like it was a hand-to-hand combat brawl. You know what I'm saying? Say, I mean, Ted? I mean, yeah. They didn't, bring, they didn't bring it. They wanted to reach across the aisle and get along to get along. You never get anywhere with those people. They don't really care to have your embrace, but they'll act as if they do. But they will turn on you in a minute. 
And I think that's a big mistake that these can't. And this is another thing that upset the apple cart, as you say. Trump didn't use conventional means of campaigning. He, he would deride and he would bully and he would do things. But by golly, he got the attention of the American people who felt the same way he did about the big uh, kahuna up there, the deep state. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, they can maybe eliminate Trump from running, you know, by indicting him and putting a big enough cloud where he can't run. But again, you and I have talked about this. Trump is not the problem. He he is a symptom of the underlying problem. And it's what you said. It's the people that were fed up with government in the way it is. And again, that's why I ran. It was the people were fed up that brought a Trump in that created the Tea Party. And that underlying sentiment, if they take and remove Trump from uh, running again, the underlying sentiment, the cause, you know, the cancer that's there is not going away. It's going to metastasize further and you're going to get a stronger candidate, maybe a more radical candidate uh, until we get to some kind of parity where both sides, um, the divide we have today says, you know what, we can get along with each other. That day of getting along to get or going along to get along, those were the, the days where there was the moderate Democrats. The moderate Democrats are gone. And so you pointed out that when they're in charge, they run hard. They don't play fair. They're there to win. Our side wants to go in there and play by the rules. The rule book has been upended, the Constitution, by the Democrats. And uh, when we get a group in there, we need to play just as hard and we need to play to win. There's an article in the New York Times, and of course, unfortunately, you know, I have these colleagues from the teaching world who think the New York, New York Times is the absolute be-all, end-all. And I tell them, you guys don't understand, but the New York Times has only given you a very a different look through their prism, which is extreme left. Of course, they don't see it because they hear themselves thinking when they read the words in the Times. But they actually have, in the Times a couple of days ago, a very serious piece by a couple of Harvard lawyers, I think, I think they were Harvard, um, saying that the Constitution, it's time we got moved away from it. Uh, it was, you know, the old argument, it's written by old colonial white guys. Uh, it was built to take advantage of their advantage and uh, we just need to move away from it. And I showed it to one of my friends who's a, a, a very bright kind of man who holds his own opinions and reaches them logically. And he says, boy, they sure want to turn the Constitution in, into utilitarianism. Um, I thought that was a pretty interesting way to see it. You know, what they're arguing about is, well, there's no utility in the Constitution. It's too laborious to change it. It's too, you know, so let's just hit it on the run and abandon it. Man, we're not too far away from that, Ted. We're not too far away from it. And it's funny because you'll hear... You know, it was always interesting to watch Pelosi because she talks about us being the constitutional republic and it's the law of the land. But then after that, everything she does is usually against the Constitution or she's overreaching it. And, you know, people, well, that editorial you were talking about, you know, we need to get away from the Constitution. Fine, let's do it. Do it the way you're supposed to do with the Convention of States. And then let's hash this out the way it's supposed to be and make sure that the people we send up there to do it are the ones that are representative of their state or district. And I was on um, uh, the, uh, the conference committee for the Ag Bill, and this is where we're going to hash the, con uh, the Ag Bill out between the House and the Senate. There's 60 people, you know, combined. I got to speak for three minutes the first meeting. Everything else was done by committee. And we were handed a product at the end, says, here's your farm bill. And I had words with my chairman. And if we do a con um, uh, convention of the states that same way, I won't participate. I mean, we don't want that. We want the representatives. We want the, the, the founding fathers of today to rewrite this. But I don't think we need to. I think the Constitution, the way it was written, along with the De um, Declaration of Independence, is probably as perfect a document for self-government, but it'll only work according to our founding fathers. If you have a well-educated electorate, we don't have that. It'll only work if we have responsibility. And, um, you know, until we get to that point, it's like that saying, uh, 
there, wherever you go, if you have problems in this area and that area, it's wherever I go, there I am. You know, if we don't abide by the rule of law and follow it as a roadmap, nothing will change. You know, I know I'm, 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 I'm harking back to my comment by my good buddy, uh, who's now passed, Billy Matthews, who was a representative. Uh, you may have known yeah, him. Yeah, we talked about, about him. him. Yeah, well, uh, Billy's advocacy was if you want to get involved in government, own a piece of the country. And he advocated all the young people should buy five acres of land. And, of course, young people did not have a clue what he was talking about. And the point he was making was that well, you were just referencing the fact that so few have any kind of civic understanding of the political models that govern them. And I've learned from teaching that you only learn what you want to learn or need to learn. I mean, I, I'll never learn to sew, for example, Ted, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, it's just one of those things. I guess I could if I really needed to, you know. Uh, but my point is you need to learn the government when you have something at risk. And when you have a piece of the country, well, you've got every layer of government to deal with. You've got the local with the zoning, you've got the state, et cetera, et cetera, all the way out to the nation. But so much of the country now, and I'm going to use a term abstract, uh, their ownership is abstract. It's a piece of paper or it's something they invest in on the stock market. It has value, but it's not value they go out and mow or, you know what I'm saying, or they have to put a fence around or, you know, that's that's what I think Billy was talking about. Yeah, there's no value if you don't work for something. You, yeah, I mean, you can be given something, you may appreciate it, but there's no value, intrinsic value. And my kids and I, we've talked a lot about that. And thank God they've all grown up to where they know that if you don't work for something, it, it doesn't really have that value of you going out and accomplishing it. And, you know, it's like we hear all the time. Liberty is not free. Liberty and freedom are not free. You've got to fight for those things. And your friend Billy Matthews is absolutely right. We're talking to Ted Yoho. We'll be back in a moment after we take a break for our sponsors and our and our donation friends. Uh, we are listening to Ted. We may just let you see a little bit of the cabin when we come back for a moment. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful place in Wisconsin. He is vacationing right now. He's just come from Key West. He'll be back in this area soon. And then he's off to Vietnam. And we're going to be conducting <laughs> programs from Vietnam via Zoom which I assure you, you don't want to miss. It's going to be a very interesting conversation. Uh, Ted and I kind of are on the same page here. We really feel it's time we all put together a team and we try to um, get our voices heard and uh, pose some sort of uh, 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 stance against the um, possibility that uh, we'll have people who govern this country who really don't like the country much. So we'll be right back on Ward's God Files and uh, for a moment for our people who sponsored the show. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com. And click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. 
What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Uh, thanks to Lewis Oil, great supporter of the Ward Scott Files and our good friend Wendell Lewis. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of weather report here for you. And I got to tell you that it's the same thing here for the Piney Woods. You may be under a thunder boomer. You may not. Right across the road, it might be sunny. But right above you, you might be getting a tremendous incoming of lightning and rain. We actually went on the generator here at the farm uh, a couple of nights ago. Uh, we had a tremendous storm pass by and, you know, not too far down the road, you have almost no rain at all. Um, of course, you have this deluge that's sweeping across the southeast right now, dumping huge amounts of water, which in Texas, um, paradoxically, because of the drought, all of a sudden the water, the land can't accept the water. It's uh, really a mixed blessing, is it not? You want rain, but you just don't want that much rain. And all of a sudden you get too much rain when you've had too much, too little rain. Um, so that's been a bad situation for, as you know, Texas and it's sweeping across the southeast. I don't think it would necessarily get our way, but uh, probably pass a little farther to the north of us. But and right now we have a relatively calm uh, hurricane uh, body of water. We not really have the big storms coming yet. Uh, we have dip below here, 90 degrees, 89 degrees. But I'm going to borrow what my good friend Ted says. Uh, I'm not going to say. 90 feels like 100 because it, uh, 89 is 89. It ain't 100, you know. <laughs> it feels like 100. We're not going to say that. Ted says, hey, listen, <clears throat> it's really 89. It's not 100. So I, I go, I certainly go along with that. So whatever it feels like, that's your problem. Take off some clothes or something, but the temperature yeah, on the right. thermometer reads right. Now for the high here, uh, 89. So um, we'll see how it goes. And actually, in our moment, uh, it's around 74. It says it would feel like 85. I don't want to say that or go there. <laughs> so uh, take what you got and feel what you feel like. But that's what the weather is. And try to stay away uh, from uh, uh, going through bodies of water that you can't see the bottom of because People always uh, think they're going down the interstate, and they feel like, well, I've gone down the interstate. It's just a puddle, and it turns out they have to be rescued to crawl out of the car. So don't take anything for granted necessarily. If you don't know the territory and you see a big puddle of water, it's been a lot of rain. Uh, back here with uh, uh, Ted Yoho, we, uh, we tried flipping on the camera just to let you see the beautiful decor he's in right now in the upper part of Wisconsin. Uh, we'll believe the, the voice on. We get a better uh, conversation. There he is. He's, uh, he's, uh, uh yeah. <laughs> oh man. So there he is. So, uh, but if we leave that on, we get a breakup of the voice. So we'll probably cut it off in a moment. Uh, we got Doug Whitaker watching. He's watching us from Mexico. Uh, through the miracle of Zoom, we're able to connect all you all. Uh, we've got Doug in Mexico, who's a regular viewer. Uh, we've got Ted, who's a regular on Wednesdays. Uh, really enjoyed having. Ted, uh, uh, be able to talk to you on Wednesdays in the Ward Scott Files, be the platform for that. We plan on keeping that going on for a while, and we hopefully you'll uh, uh, chime in and help us and listen to us and maybe uh, take some of our uh, conversation to heart, if it implies. So next thing, we, we were talking about well, what I call the belly of the beast, which is um, D.C., of course, and it is, it's head up with incestuous relationships that have been um, embedded for a long time and to break in as an outsider is very, very tough. And it's very good at manipulating language. And uh, one of the things that um, 
we have heard about is climate change. I'm long, I've been around long enough to know that Ralph Nader started this thing out, I believe, and then uh, it went to save the earth and I don't know all the all the different names and now it's climate change, uh, which I'm not convinced there is any such thing really. Uh, but now we've got an Inflation Reduction Act, which they pinned apparently on climate change. But the analysis by uh, a guy named Bjorn Lomborg, who is a, 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 a uh, an expert at these sort of things in an objective kind of way, he's well credentialed. He is the president of the Copenhagen Consensus and a fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Uh, he's skeptical about all this. And uh, he says... Uh, we've been told uh, by Biden that this is the most significant legislation in history to tackle the climate crisis. But uh, 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 Don Lumberg says this has got some real problems because, first of all, it's going to have almost no impact on climate change. Well, you've been around those double talking people for quite a while, Ted. Does this sound like the same old, same old to you? No, I, I wish it was the same old, same old. It's worse than that. Really? Um, wow. You think about when you when you first heard about living wages. I remember when I first heard that it scared me. When I found out what it was, you know, everybody should have a certain amount of income whether you work or not. That is part of this in in this bill. And what they're going to do is they're going <clears> to <throat> they're going to uh, incentivize prevailing wages. Uh, the expanded tax credits for energy efficient commercial buildings. And it goes on to say that if you've applied for that and you're not paying the prevailing wages or the living wages, that you're going to be taxed plus interest on what you didn't pay. And so there's all kinds of just garbage in this. You know, the climate, you know, I'll concede that's probably changing, but it's going to change throughout our lives as it has. You know, you're from North Florida, you know, the St. John's River. The St. John's River used to be 500 feet further inland than it is today. Um, I, I was down in the Keys and I took pictures of coral mounds that were about four feet above sea level at high tide. So that means to me, you know, that for coral to form, they had to be probably a foot or two underwater for the coral to even form. So the water has receded over those eons. And so it's going through a change. What government should do is lay the fear of people and talk about assimilating or adapting to the changes in climate and then use technology the best we can instead of these silly mandates go back to obama when he mandated that we get rid of the incandescent light bulb you remember that it was about 2010 11 oh, uh, yeah. oh yeah and then what happened is industry came out with LEDs that were so much more efficient than the curly Q fluorescence that Obama wanted the nation to go to and less toxic. And uh, let industry and the private sector figure out these things. Government should um, help people adapt to the changes that are going to happen. We're not going to change. I don't think we can personally change it on the planet. Um, hell, government can't even get a budget straight. You know, you think they're going to of the climate crisis? Well, the other paradox is that we have done our pioneering uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, a couple of hundred years ago. Um, but the Southern Hemisphere continents have not done their pioneering yet. And right. so they are busy doing what we did a couple hundred years ago, clearing your rainforests and building their cities. And of course, Africa is, uh, de you know, being developed and it's all kinds of of uh, uh, competitive nations in there, including the Russians and the Chinese, trying to get a toehold on it. But basically, it was divided that way when I had a very, very good friend, H.T. Odom, who actually was uh, started the environmental engineering department at Florida. But aside from that, was just a big thinker who thought in long views of history and geographical and geological time. And and I learned so much from him. I had him as a guest lecturer for my advanced composition classes. And he computer through a computer program he'd written, he showed it. We had led the world up and probably because of things that we're talking about, we will lead the world down as we self-impose these restrictions on ourselves. But paradoxically, the other countries will be 
still have the fossil fuels, still have the mining, all the things. And so in terms of the world, people will have a positive influence and have a negative influence. Absolutely. Your friend was very, very astute. I mean, a case in point is look at India and look at uh, China. Um, China, there's no way they're going to get away from carbon. Um, base fuels and in reality it's it's not feasible at this moment in time you know look at all the planes look at all the the, the cars the, the semi-tractor trailers this war on carbon fuels is absolutely ridiculous new technologies will come out one of them will be hydrogen technology that will replace hydrogen or fossil fuels but we're not there yet and we should adapt and get better at what we do instead of the silly mandates well, beyond this fellow from uh, the, the uh, study group says, if you plug all the predicted emissions decline into a climate model used for all major United Nations climate reports, it turns out the global temperature will be cut by, and I'm going to run out of fingers and toes, so 0.0009 degree Fahrenheit by the end of the century. And this is assuming the law's emission reductions in when its funding does after 2030. Um, you know, we're being, well, I, to me, this is the biggest pig in a poke we've ever been sold recently anyway. Maybe there's a bigger one than you know about, Ted, but this is really taken, this is really a hustle job, I think. Oh, it is. Uh, I think, you know, how in the Civil War, how the uh, people used to take their lawn chairs and watch the battles. I, I think we should do that to California and line up along their border as they get rid of cars, uh, gasoline cars by, what is it, 2030, I think, or 2035, and just watch the mayhem when uh, their electric vehicle runs out of steam or electricity about a quarter of the way through their uh, their uh, trip. And uh, I think it'll be, uh, it'll be sad, but, you know, it's just, it's not practical. It's bad. And, you know, as far as pulling the wool over our eyes, I think they did a pretty good job on COVID, too. It says here, too, yeah, agree. Three-fourths of all emissions in the rest of this century will come from what are today's developing countries, China, India, and nations in Africa. This is I spoke about a moment ago. Well, these right. countries can't afford to follow the U.S. example and drop hundreds of billions of dollars on climate subsidies. That's the other hidden thing that's going on here that is influencing um, all the way out to really investment portfolios. Um Hey, you get a subsidy of you. It's really a kind of an extortion, isn't it? I mean, a way uh, you get a subsidy, big, big, uh, big corpse. If you do what we say and, and therefore, you know, do away with your internal combustion engine and or, or we won't get uh, we won't give you the subsidies. No, that's right. And it's taxpayers money anyways. Um, things are just upside down. Um, it's a form of communism, really, because we're taxing the American people. And we're giving it to poor people. And part, a lot of this that's being pushed this way is the one world government people, the World Economic Forum, uh, the Klaus Schwab's and the Larry Fink's of, of BlackRock. They want equity throughout the world. They want a world government where there are no nations. They, and, and we're subsidizing the American people at our own device. And some people are just ignorant of that whole movement. <clears throat> Others will call it a conspiracy but it's going on right in front of us. We're subsidizing all these developing nations and taxing and burdening our people with our mandates. And when I was, uh, we were on a, one of the hearings I was in, we were talking about the climate, the CO2. And uh, the United States had dropped down from like, it was like 15 to 16% reduction in carbon, the CO2 output. And it was the highest in the world of any country cutting down and other countries were going up, but they want to do more to us. And it was such a small percentage in the overall world of carbon or CO2. And then from an environmental standpoint, CO2 helps your trees grow. And if it makes them grow faster, that produces more oxygen. And so a na- nature will adapt. And I think, again, it goes back to using common sense, doing the best you can with the resources you have and put policies in place that keep America strong and then adapt. Um, if you're worried about the water rising, don't live on the coast. Well, you know, i got a question coming in here. How in the world does something like this 
get to bill form. I know you've talked repeatedly about it's all done by the staff. Right. What is feeding their interest in this? I mean, you know, there's, there's something that doesn't add up here. Uh, for example, green energy, if it's going to work according to this expert, it's going to have to be as reliable and cheap as fossil fuels. Otherwise, developing nations aren't going to switch to cleaner energy. They're going to focus on what we just talked about, their time to develop and prosper. Um, so how in the world doesn't anybody examine the thinking of these committees? I mean, these Oh, they absolutely do. To answer that question, the bureaucracy stays after your representative uh, leaves office. That bureaucracy that never get they're, they're not voted in. They're not um, um, at the mercy of a voter. They're the ones that stay and they are very leaning left. And you can look at, at it over the years. They've become more and more um, liberalized. And so they get mandates and the directions is we're going to a green energy. And so that that committee staff, the bureaucracy out there, they'll write the rules and then they present it to the incoming freshmen and the congressmen. And you've got a percentage, probably at least a third to a half of the people that are going to that are in Congress are going to vote exactly how leadership tells them. And so you get this bill out says, oh, we're going to do the. Um, the, the Green New Deal, and it's going to do this, and they're all going to rally behind it. And the, the Democrats stick together like lemmings going over the cliff. And unfortunately, they're in the charge right now or in the majority, and they're leading our nation over the cliff. Well, it's a nice way to say it. I'm with you on that. Let's ask about this come, question coming in. It's an assumption. Uh, like all assumptions, they're just assumptions. But assuming that the Republicans can get control of the House, who would be the speaker, in your opinion? Um, who do I want to be the speaker? <laughs> if it's Kevin McCarthy, it'll be the same old, same old. You know, he's going to play along to get along, and they're not going to put rock the boat because he's part of the elite. You know, it's not the party of Republicans and Democrats. His goal is to keep the status quo. Case in point, uh, Paul Ryan got put in as speaker. The Congress before, uh, Jim Jordan had a bill that repealed Obamacare. Um, Obama uh, vetoed it. I asked John Boehner to bring it up again. And he said, well, Obama will just veto it again. I said, I would send it back to him weekly and let him make that stance that he's vetoing it. So when Paul Ryan came in, we had that same bill that we were going to put in to repeal 100%. And Paul Ryan would not bring it up. And I fear Kevin McCarthy will be that same uh, uh, wool in sheep's clothing to protect the, the uh, status quo up there. The only way you're going to change that is to get somebody that's not indebted to K Street, Wall Street, or any of those other corporations, the pharma uh, insurance companies that will put an American first agenda and say, this is the direction we want the country to go in for 20, 25 years. And then allow legislation to put in place to start changing um, um, the short term vision of, a, uh, of the Republican Party and put in place that will lead this nation after we leave Congress that an administration has to follow or they have to go through and change the law uh, through both sides and not through executive order or signing statements. We have a comment here. Would Jim Jordan be a good speaker? Jim Jordan would be a better one than Kevin McCarthy. Uh, it would have to play out. Jim, he, he's a he's a bulldog on some things, but I think you and I have talked about it. We had that bill where we were going to impeach Koskinen, the director of the IRS. Um, and Jim pulled that bill after we signed on to it because Paul Ryan had negotiated that I will let you have more hearings on Koskinen and oversight if you'll pull this bill. And Jim pulled that bill. And there was a couple other instances like that. And, um, you know, I don't understand his reasoning. Uh, I like Jim. I think he would be stronger than what we have, yeah. Well, he I would be a better what, option. You're painting a kind of a bleak picture, uh, if you will. I'll play the devil's advocate here. And maybe it's not so much a play as, as, as it might think. You know, to break up the crusty old guard, if you will, of the established oh, relationships there and really get down to the people's interests and needs. Boy, that's a tall order. And the only thing I can think of that could make it happen is leadership. 
But when you have leadership as a threat, which obviously many perceive, (coughs) then they get smeared. They get uh, labeled. They get, uh, you know, the people don't want that type of man on a white horse, you know? Well, you know, that's, that's kind of the dilemma of mankind. I think, you know, it's, um, there's a, an essay written by a general and it's called, uh, the sheep and the sheepdog and the sheepdog is there to protect the sheeps from the wolf. And what happens is what they found out is when they brought a sheepdog in, the sheep got closer to the wolf his natural enemy because they, the sheepdog was an unknown to him, not realizing he's there to protect them. And so the sheep were willing to give up their security um, and get closer to the thing that was going to lead to their very demise. And it's an interesting essay because it's human nature. And so people are afraid of that person. They don't know the Trump. So they are willing to give up more freedoms and liberties. And it's, uh, again, it goes back to what our founder said. You've got to have a well, uh, um, uh, educated electorate, and they have to be engaged. The secret to educating the electorate really is is elusive. I I can't. I'm sure you have the same thing happen. But in the position I'm in, I have so many people in this community who are you would think they're professional people, they're well educated, and to put a, a charitable um, view on it, they're busy with their own jobs and they're not paying attention. They call me and text me. Who do I vote for? What do I do? Where is this? They didn't even understand the difference. Well, the fundamental differences as to the races and who they could. And it was kind of it was kind of depressing in a way. Uh, you know, it is. And our schools have failed us in that in teaching civic duty and responsibility. And, you know, of course, we went through that whole generation of everybody gets a trophy. No, you don't. Life's not that way. You know, you get, you, 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 well, it's like, it goes back to biblical prophecies. You earn your, your bread by the sweat of your brow. Well, I don't know what the answer is of that. I mean, I've used this program as much as I can, and I know you uh, endorse this effort to do this, some education. I view this as more than anything else, a kind of a classroom and our listeners and students. And um, they've got to go out here and act on what we do. And I think the first thing that they should be doing is, doing a little digging on issues other than just trusting the first thing that comes their way. Um, you know, having been a research professor, you know, teaching research writing as a professor, well, I learned how to do that. Ted. I, 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 you know, I learned how to hunt and find and what you could trust and what you couldn't trust. And I tried like crazy to teach it to my students um, because I said, you know, you're going to be taking care of me in my old days. You better run the government, <laughs> right, you know, yeah. So uh, that was my motivation, still my motivation, really. Uh, Sometime when I have more time, ask me about my ag hearing on food stamps. And when oh, I, really? I, yeah, uh, you know, everybody thought I was really against food stamps, but truth be known, Carolyn and I were on them for about six weeks when we got married under during the Carter administration. And uh, it was an interesting discussion because I challenged the Democrats to, um, you know, I challenged them where society is going. Um, I don't want to get into it now. It's too long. Well, it's too long. Yeah, we're down to about a minute left. Well, we've been talking with Ted Yoho and Ted's in Wisconsin. And uh, every Wednesday we'll be chatting together with uh, hoping we can help you all as uh, listeners and viewers to um, maybe be a little more enlightened than you were had you missed us. You can hear us on all sorts of platforms, 24-7, 365. Go to com. You can see all the shows uh, we're out there on YouTube, a bunch of different places. And um, there's Ted. He's in his uh, he's in his nice cabin there. It's a wonderful place. And soon he'll be talking to us from Vietnam. So that'll be an interesting series of discussions, too. Uh, we hope you have a great day. Tomorrow I'll be talking with uh, Dance Alive National Ballet and the marketing director for our wonderful Best Kept Secret here. And that is our world-class ballet, uh, which attracts people from all over the world. Uh, to dance here in the city of Gainesville. I'm a big supporter of the arts. I think they humanize us, civilize us, and really help us reach across these uh, boundaries that often exist. Uh, So I like to sponsor the arts once in a while as well. Uh, Ted, have a great day there. I don't know what you're up to. Maybe going out on the lakes or whatever. But thanks for joining us, and we'll be talking with you all soon. Uh, Thanks to production helping us have a good uh, show today. And uh, we'll be talking to you later. Warthog Command Center out. See you later. See you later.